Well, good morning, church family. Oh, man, I hope you're as, as excited as I am this morning as we jump into our part six of our series, Move to More, From a Believer to a Disciple. And last week was kind of halftime for us. We kind of took a break from the series and we're jumping right back in it with another quality that helps us move from a believer to a disciple. But I want to remind us why we're doing this series and what this series is all about. It's this image right here. Right here. <laughs> it's this idea that we come into faith with Jesus Christ and we believe in something. We're known as a believer in that moment where our lives are radically transformed, that we put our faith and trust into Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're a believer. But too many of us in our faith in Christianity today just stay there. But we know, according to the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 26, we're called to therefore go and make what, friends? Disciples. Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And then, and then it also says that the Lord is going to be with you, by the way. He'll be with you through all times. And that's an important part of that whole thing. But the idea is there must be more for you and I. We must become a, from a believer to a disciple. A disciple is someone who is learning to become like their rabbi back in the rabbinic world during the time of Jesus or become like their master. That we have dedicated our entire lives to look like Jesus Christ here on earth. And there's more movement for us. We celebrate this. We celebrate when people come into faith. We are told that angels in heaven are rejoicing when people come into faith. But we don't want to stay here. Jesus is calling us to move into a discipleship relationship with him where every single day we can look in the mirror and say, I look more like Jesus today. And that's what's incredible. There is so much more for us in our faith. So turn to your neighbor and say, there's more for you. Turn to your other neighbor and says, you definitely need more. <laughs> so far, we've looked at five qualities that help us move, right? And I hope that this series is just you're allowing Holy Spirit to check our heart in some areas to say, hey, yeah, I'm not so great there. I need to move a little bit more here. And so, so far we've looked at five qualities, and since last week was kind of halftime for us, we took a break, I'm going to quickly review some of these qualities. And the first quality that we talked about that helps you move from a believer to a disciple is that disciples are passionately committed to Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask if, uh, with a little hoot and hollering from some of you, uh, how many of you this morning would say, I'm passionately committed to Jesus? All right, good. We got a bunch of disciples here, right? Uh, this was the comparison that Jesus was making. It says, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to love me so much that in comparison to yourself, in comparison to your family, in comparison to your friends and your brothers and sisters, that it looks like hate. That's how much you reign, God. That's how much you are so committed to Jesus Christ. And then in week two, Pastor Josh brought this idea that every disciple of Jesus is just and generous. How many of you would say, by a hoot and holler, that you're a generous person? Anyone? All right, all right. A little decrease in volume from quality one to two, but that's good because the series is move to more. We have movement now. Come on now. 
We know we can grow in this area, right? That God has blessed you to be a blessing. Understand that. What God has blessed you with is not just for you, it's for other people to experience him. And so we are just and generous with what we give. Uh, Quality number three, a heart of a servant. How many servant hearts are in the house? All right, we're definitely hearing that volume decrease, right? I'm not hooting and hollering at this one. This is the one the Lord's really working on my heart, right? This is the idea that Jesus says, love God, love others all above yourself. And that you want to be great, you got to serve. Allow humility to creep into your life and realize your interests are greater than mine. Here's the fourth quality we looked at, evangelistically bold. Disciples are evangelistically bold. Anyone that's bold in the house? (laughs) Oh, dear God, help us with this quality specifically, right? Come on, wouldn't it be great if we were all Billy Graham? Anytime we spoke to someone, they got saved. That would be incredible. But that's not always the case. And some of us, we wrestle with this a little bit because, you know, we wrestle with this idea of, do I know enough? What would happen if someone who doesn't follow Jesus asked me tough questions that I don't know how to answer? Let me help you real quick. Literally tell them, I don't know. That's a great question. I'll get back to you. Be comfortable knowing that. Because if you can know everything of God and you think you can fit all of God in here, that God isn't worth worshiping. Woo! This is just appetizers. I hope you all have taken good notes. All right? So evangelistically bold. That doesn't mean just, well, Ryan, I don't even know how to explain my faith. That's all right. We'll get there. That's all right. But you know how to share what Jesus has done in your life. And there is power to your story. You got to know that. Here's the last one we talked about before halftime. Every disciple lives on what, friends? Purpose, right? We all, every person in this room that follows Jesus, you have a primary purpose. That's to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That is your primary purpose here on earth. You are God's plan A for discipleship and building his kingdom. He's going to build it through you, but we got to make disciples. It'll start in your home, starts in your workplaces, and everyone has a secondary purpose. Your secondary purpose is wherever God has you with your talents and abilities, whether it's construction, to the healthcare, to the classroom, to business owners, whatever it is, that's your primary or secondary purpose. But your primary purpose to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples gives influence to your secondary purpose. So you work in the factory and sit there and go, God, I hate this job. But you can also sit there and go, but my primary purpose impacts my secondary purpose. Okay, God, who's around me that I can disciple? Is there, a non, is there an unsaved person around me right now in this moment that I can just witness to? I can share my testimony. And you know how easy witnessing is? It's so easy. Go up to someone and say, hey, how can I pray for you? It can be that easy. Have you ever done that? I've, I've done that so many times. I've only had one person ever tell me No. And I was like blown away. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and, he, and, and the person literally goes, no. So I said, all right, that's fair. However, as I pull away from you, I'm praying for you. I want you to know that. <laughs> and I did. All right. So we're going to look at the sixth quality that moves us from a believer to a disciple. And let me warn you. I'm not going to be popular with some of you. I'm going to allow the gospel to offend you. 
but I'm going to do it with love and gentleness because this is a quality that I have given my life to. It's a quality that I want you to give your life to. It's a quality that wakes me up every Saturday and so excited for our Saturday night service. It wakes me up on Sunday morning so excited to be on this stage to bring God's word to you. This is a quality that's scary because I think something is shifting in them, especially the American church today, that this is going by the wayside. But we're going to journey together through this quality. So I allow Holy Spirit to make you uncomfortable a little bit, but let's journey together, together to try to figure out how can we look more like Jesus. Here's the sixth quality that moves a believer to a disciple is this. Every disciple is governed by the authority of God's word. It's governed by the authority of God's word. Now let's journey together. In, in the book of John, Jesus very much gives us an idea of his words and what are we supposed to do with Jesus' words. This is recorded for us in John chapter 8. It reads this way. Jesus said, if you what, friends? If you hold. If you hold to my teaching. Now, it's one thing to get Jesus' teaching. It's a whole other thing to hold on to Jesus' teaching. If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. There it is. He didn't say, if you get my teaching, you're my disciple. No, you got to hold on to my teaching. In other words, it's not changing. Hold on to it. Then you will, what's this one word? No, no. you'll know the truth. And watch this, the truth is going to set you free. And so here's what I love about this word no, and I think two or three weeks ago I taught you about this. This word no in the Greek, because this was originally written in the Greek, is the word gnoskos. Let me hear you say gnoskos. All right, great word, isn't it? Sounds like a Star Wars planet, gnoskos. But it's the Greek word for no. There's a Hebrew equivalence of this word, because the Newer Testament, the New Testament's written in Greek, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for no is the word yada. Let me hear you say yada. Those are the two words for no. But it's not a head knowledge no. It's an intimate, experienced knowledge. It's the deepest intimacy you can have. And again, I've shared this. This is the intimacy that every time that you look and you read that a husband and wife lay down together, it's the word yada or gnoskos. It's that deep of intimacy. So here Jesus says, you got to hold on. Don't just know it, head knowledge. Know it, hold on to it with deep intimacy right here. Don't waver. And when you know it, what's the blessing of knowing his word? You're going to be free. I want you to be free. What is Jesus saying here? If you and I are going to be governed by the authority of God's word, we must make the word of God the foundation of, of your life. How many of you know that everything is built on a foundation? We just may not see the foundations all the time. But the, the quality of the structure, the integrity of the structure is all contingent on the foundation it's built on. The quality of your life is contingent upon the foundation you build your life on. The quality of your marriage is contingent upon the foundation you build your marriage on. 
The quality of your finances is built on the foundation that you build your finances on. The quality of every relationship you enter into will always be built and contingent upon the foundation you build your life on. So what's your foundation? Jesus was very clear in Matthew. He reads in Matthew chapter 7, it reads this way. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what, friends? Oh, you mean we actually have to do them now? Yep. Is like a wise man. I don't want you to be unwise. You want to be unwise? Don't put into practice what you hear from God's word. By the way, the wise man built his house on the rock. Strong foundation. If you know the rest of the story, there was an unwise man or a foolish man. What did he build his rock or house on? What did he build it on, if you know it? The sand. You know what sand does? It shifts all the time. Here's the danger. There are a lot of followers of Jesus who have built their foundation not on the rock of God's word, but the shifting sands of our culture today. And you wonder... Why we make mistakes. Not just mistakes, but regrettable mistakes. We turn and say, oh my God, I cannot believe that just happened. I felt like I've ruined my life. Yeah. Because we're not even putting into practice God's word. We got to be obedient. Even when we don't fully understand it, the greatest calling in your life is to be obedient to God. I love what... um, And Timothy, Timothy is a pastor. He's a young pastor. I relate to him really well, just being younger. And uh, Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus, which we get in the New Testament, the letter Ephesians from there. And and Pastor Timothy's there, but Paul is writing an encouraging letter to this young pastor to how to deal with people within the church. And 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, the screen's going to say 1 Timothy. It's supposed to be 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 16 Paul's reminding Timothy, don't forget about God's word to your people. And it says this, all scripture, all, every word on that page, all scripture is what, friends? Woo! That means everything we have in the word of God comes from his breath. Theo, pneuma. Theo, God, pneuma, breath. The breath of God has breathed life into these pages. They are not just black letters on white pages. No, it has the word of God. It's inspired. The word of God has 66 books in it. 40 authors, not their original idea, but when they sat down and began to scribe out, Holy Spirit was inspiring their words as they penned the letter. It's God-breathed. Not only that, the writer of Hebrews says this about God's word. Woo-hoo! I love it. And here's what it says. For the word of God is what, friends? Alive and what? Woo! This is what happens to me. I get on Sunday morning. Why? Because I know this thing makes me come alive. And my passion and heart is this thing would make you come alive. Make you come alive so much that if you were ever on stage, you would spit as much as I do. That's how much alive you become. (laughs) But I believe this through and through, that this is the inspired word of God. And we are to submit to this. That it's alive. What does this word alive mean here? This word alive means to live, to breathe, to be in full vigor. 
It's just coming alive. Can you feel it? That when you read it, you read it every single day and you get into God's word and says, God, change me, not just head knowledge, but transform the way I think and transform my heart. Reveal things to me. Where am I tripping up in life? What is happening to the inside of me that I need Holy Spirit to come and teach me something in this moment? Help me become alive. I don't want to be dead to things. I want to be alive in Jesus Christ. We got to get into it. We got to get into it. By the way, don't just get through the Bible. Get the Bible through you. You need to write that down. <laughs> Tweet it, something. I'm not against year in the Bible plans. I'm not. That's just not for me. Because what I do is I've tried that before. I just try to read it so fast and it becomes a checklist thing. And I had to stop that. Because I wasn't allowing the Bible to get through me. I was just doing it to get it done. And then to say after a year, woo, read the Bible. That, that's me. Some of you, you're like, man, I get transformed. Praise God for that, right? We love that. But it's alive. we got to get into it. And what else is it? It's active, which means this. This is literally the definition for the word active. An opportunity for the working of the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. That you are broken and need forgiveness and need a savior. And now there is freedom on the other side of that. There is freedom from the bondage of sin. So when you read it and it's active and it's saying, oh no, there's still a spot in my life that I need Jesus. Help me, Holy Spirit. And then you are working the gospel in your life while you're reading God's word. That's why you got to do, that's why you got to take notes during church. That's why you got to mark up your Bible. Look at this. I don't know if you can see. I got Whoa, hey, 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 whoa, going the wrong way. Go back all the way to that one slide. Sorry. But notes, notes, highlight. Uh, oh, there we go. More underlining. We got to get into it. Why? Who wants to come? There's a thief that's going to come to try to steal God's word out of your heart. And you got to know it. I got to know exactly, man, I remember the Lord taught me that. I go back and, oh, there's my writing right there. I know exactly what the Lord taught, and I cannot forget that point. Here's the tempting thing of our American church today, and Christians today in America specifically. We're tempted to build our life on something else than God's word. We're tempted to build our life on popular culture. Popular culture right now is increasingly telling you all how to live. And it will continually to increasingly tell you how you should live your life. How many of you know what's popular changes, but God's word never changes? Come on, you need a better amen than that. <laughs> popular comes and goes, but the word of God will last for all eternity. And I want this to be the foundation. You got to be careful how much popular culture you allow in your life. What you allow in your life will infect you either positively or negatively. So check yourself. How much news am I going to allow in my life? Changes the way you think. How much Netflix will I binge? Maybe these inappropriate shows that you know if Jesus was sitting right there, you wouldn't be watching. So I hope next time you're watching an inappropriate show, you see my face going, what are you doing? (laughs) 
that's true. <laughs> How much time are you going to scroll on Facebook? How much time? We got to be careful. How much pop culture we allow in our lives. I'm not saying all popular culture is wrong. Don't get me wrong. But we have to be very careful of how much time we spend on it because it will infect us. What we allow in has impact on how we grow or don't grow spiritually. I love waking up every morning because I get to start my day right here for an hour. I love it. I love it. But I'm not who I am today without carving out time to say, God, speak to me. And I'm not perfect. Ask my wife. <laughs> Ask my son who's sitting right there. I'm not perfect. But I'll wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, fill me because I got holes in my life. Be careful. How much time? Exodus chapter 32 is Moses um, is preparing them to enter the promised land. Moses says this, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Be careful how much pop culture we allow into our lives. Second thing that we see is many people are tempted to build their life on is traditions. Now, some of you may be shocked that I said traditions, and I'm not up here saying traditions are all wrong. Uh, I love our, one of our traditions here at Radiant Life is our Christmas services, the lighting of the candles. It's a beautiful moment, and we do that every year. It's a tradition here at Radiant Life, and it's beautiful. But here's, there goes my son right there. You can ask him as he's walking. <laughs> is your dad perfect? <laughs> the issue that has crept into the churches today is we're holding on to tradition and not God's truth. We're holding on to traditions that are 100 years old who may have been great during that time, but we're still holding on with everything, with that method that has happened, and we're okay tweaking God's word. And we can't do that. Methods change, but the message never changes. And we'll adjust. I love what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 7. You have, he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious elite. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. He's criticizing the religious people. Hey, you let go of the wrong thing. You let go of God's word and you decided to hold on to the tradition. Uh-uh. Let go of tradition to hold on to God's word when it's in conflict. Always do that. Here's the third tempting thing to build our life on is reason. It's reason. What reason says is, I've thought long enough that it seems right to me that something should be this way. That's what reason says. And I want to challenge this one because this one's sneaking in the church today. I think something should be this way. It just seems right because I think thought about it. I love what the writer of Proverbs says this about you and I thinking. Proverbs writer says this, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to what, friends? <laughs> Aren't you glad God's ways are higher than your ways? 
It seems right. Yeah, what seemed right to man will lead to death. I don't care what seems right. My foundation's built on this that will last all eternity. And we wrestle with it. Anytime that you come into conflict with God's word, something that you felt, well, I think this should be right, or I think this seems right, and God's word says something else, let me encourage you. Don't go with you, go with God. Don't go with you, go with God. Always, you will be better off going with God every single time. Because so many times we go over here on our own reasoning and thinking, and it will just bring chaos when we abandon the truth. Here's the fourth and final tempting thing that you and I may be tempted to build our life on. And this one's cray-cray a little bit. And here's why. It's feelings. How many of you know feelings come and go like waves? I watch Michigan football. And when my team loses, I don't look like Jesus often. I want to throw things, but those are the feelings in the moment. And then I calm down about an hour, and you know what I say? Who cares? It's just a football game but I allow an outcome of a football game to affect my feelings. Thank God I don't make any major decisions during the loss of a Michigan game. <laughs> feelings will come and go. Feelings are good, they're all from God, right? We, we enjoy feelings knowing, ow, that hurts, that's painful, right? We wanna know that, like then stop doing that. But feelings come and go. The scary thing is since they come and go and they're like waves, sometimes you're like, where did that come from? I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And they come and go, but we'll base our life on that. Here's what culture is screaming to us with feelings. It's screaming these lies. If it feels good, do it. And here's the other lie culture screaming at you. If it feels good, it must be right. No. Because there are some things that sin, it feels good in the moment. If, it, if sin did not feel good, we would all be running away from it at times. All the time. But there are some sins, it just feels right. Why? Because we are flesh and spirit. Our flesh is drawn to the sinful things of this world. And so at that time, it feels right. But what does God's word say? No, that's wrong. So I'm not going to do it. I love the book of Judges. It's so important, the book of Judges. It, because there are some crazy things that happen in the book of Judges. There are some cray-cray people in there too. And in the midst of Judges, like they, they've got judges that are ruling the nation of Israel. And they want a king because they're looking around at all these other nations. They're like, oh, they all got kings. We want a king. And the very last verse in the book of Judges says this. At the time, there was no king in Israel. And people did whatever they felt like doing. And chaos pursues. God says, fine. You rejected the king. I was your king. You rejected me. You want a king like all the other nations? Here's your king. And it was pure chaos from that, that moment on. And this is what's creeping in, the world, in our church today. The church, capital C church. The American church is that the danger is or believers tend to do this. They submit the word of God to their feelings and opinions. It's like a teeter-totter. You have the word of God 
and you have opinions and feelings. And this is what's creeping into Christians today. The foundation that we build our lives on. What is creeping into our world today? Well, I think we should redefine marriage. Why? Because I know someone who struggles with their sexuality and same-sex attraction, therefore it's really personal to me. And I don't think it's fair. So what do we do? We weigh down our opinions and feelings. And we allow our opinions and feelings to be the foundation now of how we feel something that God is very clear on. Mm, God's word. I, mean, I don't. Uh, but I feel like this should be this way. Or let's come back to level. What about identity issues? Shouldn't they be able to figure out? Like, I'm not going to give them a sex. Let them figure out what their sex is. I think that's fair. It seems right to me. And I know they're struggling with things. So that's my opinion and feeling of this because I know it. It's personal. I, I, I have family members. I have friends. So what do we do? Our foundation is our opinions and feelings. And I know there's tension right now. You know what else we do? We will become our own demigods because we'll worship what we think. And it's creeping into the American church. But you know how we handle all this? We come over here and we'll always say, God, the word of God is always greater than my opinions and feelings. Always. That everything God's word says, I will lay my foundation. And when it's not matching my opinions and feelings, I'll submit them to you. Because disciples submit our opinions and feelings to the word of God. Well, I feel like even though we're not married yet, we should, we should just have sex. Why? It just seems right. We're going to get married anyways. I love you enough to bring this message to you. I told you this won't be popular. But Jesus spoke to the crowds and many left and never followed Jesus. This is too important, and it's creeping in our theology and our work today. The Word of God will reign superior. Ryan, then tell me, tell me, please tell me, because I, I struggle with family and friends who deal with those issues. Ryan, tell me, what do I do? What do I do? You know what you do? You always say, God, your Word is the foundation I build my life on. Even though this is muddied a little bit and I'm not sure what to do with it because I deal with family and friends over here, here's what we do. You always do it in love. That's the issue. We slam people who are different than us with all truth. And that's wrong. Because Jesus came with grace and truth. And the hallmark of the Christian life is one word. Love. Two jobs before this job. I had worked with one 
gay man and two lesbian women. They knew where I stood. But I'm going to tell you this. I entered into a deep relationship with the three of them. And I tried to show them God's love. They befriended me, I befriended them. And it was an awesome learning experience. In fact, to the point where his name was Ed. Ed would come up to me during work and says, Ryan, can you pray for this situation? I said, absolutely. Because he knew I didn't judge him. He knew where I stood. He knew my foundation was right here. But I still loved the hell out of that, Ed. I did. To the point where I'm going to a Michigan football game with him. Come on now. (laughs) Because they don't invite people like you and I when all we want to do is slam truth at them. But I showed him love. And if many of you are in those situations with family members and friends, my encouragement to you is you got to develop that relationship. I had to sit down and say, just, just, can you blow my mind away? This is literally what I told Ed. Will you blow my mind away? Because I don't understand. I, I, I don't. So can you help me understand your life and your lifestyle and that, just everything? And I'm going to tell you right, right now. He told me way too much. <laughs> way too much. I was like, I, I didn't think we were that close, all right? <laughs> Slow down. But it starts there. And it's okay to sit there and go, let's just try to understand one another. Because it was Jesus who knelt down and began to write in the dust while everyone was ready to stone the adulterous woman who actually, according to Jewish law, deserved death. She deserved it. But it was him. He says, all right, go ahead. You're going to be the first one to throw the stone? So Jesus is here. Everyone leaves. It's just him and the woman. In the moment, hey, everyone could have thrown the stone, but it was I who was still here. Just don't go sin anymore. We got to be careful, friends. Be careful how we react in love and how we react in truth. That's why I pray every day help me be like you, Jesus. You're going to enter into two questions when you get into God's word. The first question is going to be this. What do I do when I don't understand? As I get into this thing, what do I do when I don't understand? And let me, very clear, very clear. When you don't understand, you don't have to understand to believe. That's all of us who follow Jesus this morning. You don't understand an infinite God in your finite mind, do you? And if you can understand all of him and put him right here, as I said before, then that God is not worth worshiping. I am glad God thinks higher than me. His ways are bigger than my ways. And I am thankful. You don't have to fully understand to believe something. Listen, do you believe that 
children are grown inside a woman's womb. Do we believe that? Yes. How many of us fully understand that? That women can birth an alien inside of them. We all have minds. How many of you fully understand your mind? How the neurons work? None of us probably in this room fully understand it all. But we know it's there and we believe that our mind's working maybe properly, hopefully properly, and all that stuff. Right? We do not have to fully understand in order to believe. So it's okay. Wrestle with that. Here's the other question as you read God's word, what you're going to do. What do I do when I don't like it? What do I do when I get to that spot and Jesus says that one word and I'm like, "Mm -mm, mm, what do I do with this? I don't like it. You don't always have to like it but you must always obey it. Listen, I don't adjust the Bible to fit me. I adjust me to fit the Bible. Too many of us are adjusting the Bible to fit our opinions and our feelings. But we can handle every discussion with love and gentleness My biggest prayer for this message, because I knew I wasn't going to be popular, was may I deliver it with gentleness. Pastor Brandon prayed it right before we started service, that I would have a spirit of gentleness in it. But I don't want you to falter. Because listen, friends, praise team, make your way up. The storms in your life are coming. They're coming. And you got to ask your question, what is the foundation of my life so I don't crumble? And the storm can be popular culture right now. The storm could be when your marriage is crumbling. How do you behave and react? Are you governed by the authority of the word of God? How do you, when the storm in your uh, job is starting to crumble and your boss is asking you to maybe skimp around and do some unethical things, how do you handle that? You're governed by the authority of the word of God. Even if it means I have to stand up to my boss and say, no, this is wrong. But there's a question. There's a question at the beginning of all creation that is still a question today. In the book of Genesis, it reads this way. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, when you disobey, you will certainly die. But Adam and Eve, you're free. You're free. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? It was the question that crept in at creation. It's the question that the devil is using today. Did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, 
and you must not touch it or you will die. Did God ever actually tell them, don't touch it? No. He said, don't eat it. See, when the devil creeps in and begins to say, did God really say? We begin to doubt things. And we begin to take truth and distort truth. And that's what's happening here. And the serpent's going to say, oh, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, oh, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Did God really say? Follower of Jesus, it's a question you and I will always wrestle with. Did God really say? And it's a question you and I are going to have to answer one day. Whose word has your allegiance? God's word? Your own opinions and values and feelings? Cultural, societal norms? Whose word has your allegiance? Because he's going to come like that crafty little deceiver he is and whisper in your ear, did God really say that? Come on. Let me take you over here. Doesn't this tree look good to eat from? Every disciple, we've got to make the word of God part of your daily life and make it grow deeper within you. Yes, Ryan, daily. Why daily? Because there's so much false truth out there that we got to know our foundation is on the word of God. And if we're not in it, we won't know it. We won't know it here intimately. Daily, Ryan, I, I, I can't afford daily. Here's my challenge to all of you. Give God 15 minutes. Five minutes in his word. Give him five minutes of worship. Put on a one worship songs, five minutes. And five minutes in prayer. Give him that. Because the author of Colossians, as he's writing to the church of Colossae, Paul says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when we allow this to dwell in us, when the devil comes along and says, did God really say that? I know my foundation. And you're not going to deceive me. If you will, will you please stand? I just want to pray for us. I know this is an unpopular message, but I love you enough to bring it. Because it's sneaking into our society and our churches today. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, just take a moment to seek Holy Spirit out. Where exactly, what truth and what word have you actually been holding on to that you just need God to speak a different truth in? Maybe for some of us, it's a moment that we're just saying sorry to God that we have allowed our opinions and feelings 
to be the foundation and we've submitted his word to our own opinions and feelings. So maybe just take time to confess that. But I know this, friends. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives if we're truly going to make the Word of God the authoritative foundation of our life. We can't do it alone. We need His power and His presence in our life. And then we'll learn to love others who are different than us, love them well. So God, we cry out, we need a fresh wind. God, we cry out that you'd help us get set free from some of the truths and the negative truths that we've held on to. Oh, Holy Spirit, will you pour yourself out to us? We want to be people that are governed by the authority of your word. And we're only going to do that when we are completely filled by your presence and understand and know the truth that will set us free, that we know that truth intimately and deep down and that we're marked by love. So Holy Spirit, will you come and move in this place and in our hearts right now?